Hey, this is Tim at The Bible Project. This is the final episode of John and I's conversation about the Son of Man. This was a phrase that was Jesus' favorite title to describe himself. And in all the episodes up to this one, John and I have been exploring this theme and how it develops throughout the whole biblical story, the Son of Man, from Genesis 1 all the way up to Daniel chapter 7. In the last episode, we talked about how the New Testament Gospels portray Jesus as a Son of Man, that is, as a new Adam. Except this Adam uh, doesn't give in to evil. Uh, He doesn't try to grab at power and influence. Rather, he overcomes the temptation in the wilderness and then moves out to launch God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So in this episode, John and I are going to talk about some of the different teachings of Jesus where he actually uses this phrase, the Son of Man. And if you track with what Jesus says about the Son of Man, you can see patterns. Uh, These are well-known stories about Jesus forgiving people's sins, uh, how he picked grain with his disciples on the Sabbath, uh, the story of his trial before the high priest. And when you focus in on why Jesus calls himself the Son of Man at just these moments, all this new light gets shed on these familiar stories and sayings of Jesus. So there you go. I'll let the conversation speak for itself. Um, Turn your heart and mind onto learning mode and uh, get ready to discover along with John and I. So here we go. So we're continuing conversation on the Son of Man. Yes. And we talked about Jesus represented in Mark and Matthew as the new Adam, Uh new David, Daniel figure who passed the test Mm -hmm. in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and man, it was so cool to see how the details, especially in Mark of Mm -hmm. when he's in the wilderness, Mm. we're told that he's there with the beasts. Mm -hmm. So he's ruling as man, he's the land animals, Genesis one kind of commission. But then the angels are ministering to him. So he also rules over the angels. Yeah. Yeah. They're his staff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's a human. Mm. But we know from his birth narrative that there's something more to him. Yeah. And he's called by Mark the son of God and that he's yeah. given this designation yeah. of being given the status mm. of mm. Uh, a ruler. Well, yeah, I, I think the birth narratives are making a claim that the Christian tradition has come to call it the incarnation, that he isn't just a superpowered human like a Moses or a David. Mm-hmm. but that he is actually the God of this story become human yeah. to be the human that no human is capable of being. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the implication of the conception by the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus is declared the Son of God at the baptism, mm-hmm. actually, this is an important clarification, because okay. um, there are some readers throughout history have taken that to mean, oh, Jesus was a human, who got supercharged at his baptism. Oh, okay. If you didn't have the Holy Spirit conception idea. Yeah. Like in Mark. Well, according to Mark, there's no birth narrative. Mm. You just get Jesus showing up on the scene. Yeah. And so some people think that that preserves the earliest view of Jesus, is mm. that it's called adoptionist mm. Christology, that he's a human that was filled with God's spirit and adopted got it. as the son of God. Yeah. Against that concept, however is the whole view of Jesus in Paul's letters that we explored in a previous series. 
And Paul's letters have a fully divine human Jesus. Yeah. And Paul's letters predate the Gospels by a decade or two. Mm. And then Matthew and, and Luke both have the birth narratives that make clear the incarnational idea. But calling someone the son of God is not saying that they are man and God. Correct. Because David was called the yeah. son of God. Israel was called. That's right. So uh, when Jesus is introduced as the son of God, the story that you're about to read is going to give a new level of depth to that pre-existing term. I'm so supposed to be thinking royal human yeah. ruler. Hum- human adopted to divine status, the status of divine rule. Divine rule. Every son of God I've met in the story, Adam. Rules on God's David, behalf. Yep, is a human who's elevated to rule on God's behalf. Got it. However, it's clear that the Gospels are using that pre existing idea, but also making an even greater claim about Jesus. He didn't become divine. Yeah. Rather, he was yeah. the God of Israel become human. That's the claim that they're making. So Mark calls him the son of God, yeah. but Jesus likes to call himself the son of man. Son of man, yep. And uh, he uses it a lot. Yeah. And we're going to look at some of the times he does that. Yeah, some examples. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this whole series and conversation got started saying Jesus called himself the son of man. We actually haven't looked at any yet. Yeah. (laughs) So let's look at some. People who study the son of man sayings of Jesus Uh notice some patterns. If you look at all... The sayings, where he calls himself the son of man, Mm -hmm. you notice three different nuances that he gives. In other words, if you look at... Yeah, the collection of sayings. If you read those in context, you'll notice three patterns, three common themes. And the first one is where Jesus will talk about the son of man having some kind of divine authority. Which makes sense. Okay, here's the first example uh, where Jesus will use the son of man phrase to describe himself as having divine authority. Okay. Mark chapter 2. Here, I'll set up the scene, and then I'll let you read the words of Jesus. All right. All right. So this is um, Jesus is teaching in a house. All these people are gathered around the house. There's some guys who have a friend who's paralyzed. He can't walk. So they try to bring him to Jesus. They can't get near him. There's too many people there. Too many people. And so they uh, find a way up onto the roof and start shredding the roof apart. <laughs> um, I've always just tried to imagine the scene of like Jesus in the house and there's like dust and debris falling from the ceiling, you know? Yeah. And they're just like, what? What on earth? I'm trying to talk here. John Mark uh, <laughs> taught on this recently and he was like, he called it vandalism. He's like, <laughs> he's like you just got to have friends who will vandalize for you. Yeah. You go to someone else's house. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you just start shredding it? Yeah. To get, yeah. So you get it there. They get this guy in front of Jesus. Jesus says, little boy, your sins are forgiven. But the religious leaders are mm-hmm. sitting around and they say, why does this man speak this way? He's blaspheming, which means offending God's honor. Mm-hmm. Who can forgive sins but the one God? Mm. But the one God. And then the story picks up. So Jesus, aware in his spirit, that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your pallet and go home. Mm-hmm. And he got up and immediately picked up his pallet and went Mm -hmm. 
out in the sight of everyone. Mm-hmm. And they were amazed. Yeah, that's right. and they were amazed, and they started glorifying God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Mm. Okay, so Jesus is identifying himself as the Son of Man. Yeah. He's doing it in the third person. <laughs> so that you may know the Son of Man. Yeah. Okay, all right. So this is interesting. In Greek, the phrase is the Son of the Human. Mm-hmm. To thus. To thus. The Son of the Human. So really significant, the Son of Man has been a small like industry in New Testament studies in the last hundred years. Mm. It's long rabbit hole as to why it's been complicated, and people write whole books in response to each other's books. And mm. but one of the most important kind of landmark summaries and like studies done was by a scholar named Joel Marcus. Yeah, you've, you've quoted from him before. Yeah, uh, and it's just called. It was a two part. It was in a scholarly journal, but he published two like thirty page essays mm. as parts one and two. He mm. wrote a small book <laughs> in this journal. It's called "The Son of Man." as son of Adam. And he makes an argument, and many people are compelled by it, that the son of the human, the human there as a reference to, because remember in Hebrew, Adam is human. Human, yeah. The son of the Adam. (laughs) The son of the Adam, namely the ultimate Adam. Yeah. And so uh, he points out here that Jesus' focus is that the son of man has authority on earth. Mm. But... To forgive sins. To forgive sins, that's right. Which is like a heavenly kind of thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is clearly what the religious leaders pick up on. Who can forgive sins but the one God? Yeah. You go to the temple for that. Yeah. And the priest doesn't forgive you. He tells you that God forgives you. Yeah. Because you've done what God told you to do. Yeah. But here Jesus is just waltzing around. Shortcut. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Dispensing God's forgiveness as if it's his to offer. Yeah. And he thinks the focus here is on earth. The Son of Man has authority on earth. Hmm. Here, I'll just quote Marcus here because he has a good summary. He says, "Um, Adam was created to be the terrestrial representative of the heavenly king to rule on earth as God rules in heaven. This is to be in the image of God. Correct. Genesis 1. So Jesus here is emphasizing that his authority to forgive sin on earth derives its ultimate authority from God's prerogative to forgive sins in heaven. In other words, the assumption underneath all this is God is the one who forgives sins. Where is he? He's he's enthroned in the heavens over heaven and earth. But now Jesus is identifying himself as the one on earth. Yeah, carrying out God's rule. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, it is. There you go. So the first Adam is associated both with royal rule but also with sin and death. Hmm. And so here Jesus is portrayed, Marcus goes on, as the royal human who has power over both sin and death. Mm. And death is made concrete here in this story in terms of the man's Mm. paralyzed, broken body. Yeah. So for Jesus to forgive and to heal are Mm. really just two sides of him as the new Adam who has power over evil and death. So when he says, which is easier... To, <laughs> to say you're forgiven or yeah. to pick up your pallet and walk. Yeah. The kind of point there is to say, like, anyone, well, anyone can walk around saying you're forgiven. Yeah, Who could right. actually heal Correct. the person? That's right. But in a way, they're both equally yes. authoritative. Yeah. One di- is... Divine. For, yeah, yeah, divine. Yeah. They're both equally impressive. They're both things that only God can do. Yeah. Assumed here. Yeah. To both to forgive and to bring new creation to someone's body. And, yeah, it's cool. 
I've never read these Son of Man passages thinking about being mm. the new Adam. Mm-hmm. It really fills it out in, in a new way of yeah. when he says authority on earth, yeah. that was the whole point. Yes, that's right. For, for man to have authority on earth, yeah. to rule yeah. on God's behalf. Yes. What does that look like? Well, if you have God's divine rule, mm, yeah. you're doing God's stuff. Yeah, that's right. What does God do? And he, what does God do? He brings healing and forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's good. It's the Son of Man embodies God's ethic of power and influence. Yeah. Which is not a satanic mindset, <laughs> according <laughs> to the temptation that mm. Jesus underwent, which yeah. is to seize and to take and to hoard. Yeah. Uh, exert power. Correct. It's to give it away, uh, thereby qualifying yourself to truly, truly hold influence. Another one, another Son of Man saying, this is in Mark chapter 2, uh, not far from the story we just read. And it happened that while Jesus was passing through grain fields on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, his disciples began to make their way along and, hey, you know, we're walking by a grain field. You know, Deuteronomy, Leviticus say, you know, mm-hmm. don't um, harvest the edges of mm-hmm. your field. Mm-hmm. You know, leave it for hungry yeah. people in your community. So, so they started picking, picking heads of grain. Uh, the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? Because you're not supposed to harvest on the Sabbath. Yeah, that can be interpreted as a form of harvesting. Yeah. And listen, uh, many other days of the week to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus said to them, have you read the Bible? (laughs) Do you remember what David did when he was in need, when he and his companions were hungry? He actually went into the temple uh, in the time of Aviathar, the high priest, and he ate the consecrated bread which is not legal for anybody to eat except priests. And then David gave it to his crew, his hungry crew. David broke the rules. Yeah. Why can't I break the rules? Yeah, on one level. Okay. That's what he's getting at. Um, Another level is David is the son of God. He's God's royal appointed ruler Mm. on earth. And so the temple, if the temple is a little micro Eden, then the bread of Eden is made for Adam and Eve in the garden. Is that is that part of the point of that story then, and that detail of the story when you see David eating that bread? You're supposed to be oh. thinking like, "Wow, he's not supposed to be doing that," but he is the son of God, and mm. this is a well, Eden. Yeah, within the David story, yeah, dude. The way that this narrative features in the David story, yeah, is awesome. Mm. Um, but it's in the section where Saul, yeah, is no longer the king of Israel in God's eyes, mm-hmm. but David is rather, he is the real king in God's eyes, yeah. but he's not made public. Right. So there's a whole stretch of the story where David's the real king, but he's waiting patiently for God to exalt him as king, okay. while the false kings of Israel, you know, do their thing. Yeah. And so you have David fleeing in the, into the wilderness. He's about to go into the wilderness, and he makes a stop by the temple shrine. <laughs> <laughs> and he enters into it, and he picks up the sword of Goliath. <laughs> and he picks up the bread, hmm. and uh, the priest gives him bread. And so in the narrative, yeah, it's this image of the real king of Israel isn't public yet, 
But yeah, he can go into the holy place and have authority over it. Yeah. As the Adam, the new Adam over Israel. For sure, that's what's going on. So think, if Jesus is placing himself in the place of David and David's like soldiers, he's putting himself in that role. Who in this story is fitting into the Saul, the false leaders of Israel uh, story? Yeah, the religious leaders. Right. So he's putting himself in the spot of the underdog David. Yeah. Who is the true king, but just not recognized. Yeah. <laughs> Which would lead them to be like, who do you think you are? Totally. Yeah. But Jesus doesn't give him a chance because then he says this. The Sabbath was made on account of or because of the human and not the human because of the Sabbath. Yeah. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. <laughs> <laughs> this is Riddler Jesus. Yeah. This is totally riddle, Riddler. Yeah. He's speaking in riddles. Don't let me don't let me go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> well, we kind of have to. All right, a great. Bit. Awesome. At That's least good. just to say, well, here, actually, Joel Marcus has a great, again, okay. quoting from Marcus here. Marcus notes, from Genesis itself, to be sure, one might get the impression that the Sabbath was not created because of the human, but because of God. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> God rested on the seventh day from the labor of the preceding six days and therefore hallowed the seventh day in perpetuity. However, he notes, okay. in Jewish tradition, scholars went to great pains to make clear that God wasn't tired. It's yeah. not like he needed a rest. Okay. But that the purpose of the Sabbath was for humanity to provide rest for them. And you've, you've mentioned this. It's God's resting mm -hmm. in creation. Yeah. It's like him taking up his royal yeah. place Correct. within the world. Yeah. yeah, filling it with his presence. Filling it with And him. it becoming his dominion, his place of where he rules. Yeah. Yep. So in the Genesis narrative, it's mm -hmm. about his inauguration yeah. as king of creation. Yeah. yeah, that's right. But then as it becomes a law or a part of the, mm. yeah, as a part mm. of the law. Well, so let's pause here. And Kay. then you get humans who are yeah. also appointed to rule yeah. on God's behalf. Uh -huh. And the image of where they rule is that of cultivating a garden. Yes. You know, they have to work and care for it. Yeah. Dude, it just produces your food. Yeah. The idea of a garden, yeah. you know, it's a labor, but it's a labor that gives it's working with you. easy produce. Yeah. You're there with the animals. Yeah. The food just, you know, comes right off the trees. Like, it's <laughs> the image. Right. The inversion, the curse, that's the blessing. Yeah. The inversion or the curse yeah. is the now- that you're working hard at. Totally. Now you're going to grind yourself back to dust mm. through sweat and hard labor to yeah. get any food out of the ground. Right. It's going to kill you. The ground's going to kill you as you try to get food out of it. It will slowly kill you. Yay. So the Sabbath is a way God declares that there's a day of rest. The human future, destiny, and purpose isn't governed by its slavery to survival from the land. Mm -hmm. But you declare a whole day where you imitate God's rest and rule over creation, and you live like the first Adam and Eve to just rest in God's world mm. and trust that your provision and security is all given as a gift. You don't have to scratch the it The images of Adam and Eve living in the Sabbath, Correct. living in the, yeah. the, the inaugural reign of God who's resting in creation and things. Yeah. You work, but there's this yeah. amazing kind of producing for you happening yeah. at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I think what Jesus is reflecting on here isn't just his reflection. This is a 
Hebrew Bible's depiction of the Sabbath, which is it's God's presence filling all creation so that as humans represent him as rulers, they live in a world that um, is friendly to them, yeah. that welcomes them, yeah. that they are in authority over. And we almost need a term, like, because we have, we have creation and we talk about creation. Mm-hmm. But we're generally talking about the state of things now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and we're talking about new creation. Yes. This yeah. is kind of like pre whatever. It's, it's not it's yeah, not pre creation. It's the but Genesis it's like, one ideal. It's the ideal. It's the ideal. And the yeah. ideal is yeah. is Sabbath. But when Jesus says the Sabbath was made, yes. is he referring to that seventh day of creation? Or is he referring to like the law that ah. was given that that points to that ideal? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let me just continue the Marcus quote here. He says the Sabbath, according to Jesus' logic in Mark 2, was created for Adam's sake and the humanity he represents, not the other way around. And when he says the Sabbath, mm-hmm. he's referring to what? The ideal of Genesis 1. The ideal of Genesis 1 yep. was for humanity. Yeah. The Sabbath was built into the structure of the world that was ah, made subject to Adam. Okay. Got it. Oh, okay. Therefore, Adam's final son, the son of man, who has recovered the dominion that his great forefather forfeited, mm. he's Lord not only of the world in general, mm. but of the Sabbath in particular. So we're going to start conversations about the Sabbath yeah. for a video c- coming down the pipeline. But yeah, the Sabbath one ideal is a picture of the ideal creation. Mm-hmm. And it's not made to end. It doesn't have an ending like the other days of Genesis 1. Mm-hmm. There's the evening and there's morning. Yeah, It just is the culmination. And... Yeah. It's precisely that Sabbath rest that is forfeited in the rebellion of the humans in the garden. Because hmm. now they die scratching out an existence in the dirt. Mm-hmm. And so then the practice of the Sabbath yes. yeah. then becomes a way to remember and yeah. to also yeah. try to live and initiate yeah. that ideal that was lost. That's right. Mm-hmm. Which Isaiah will call a new heavens and a new earth. Yeah. New creation, what Paul will call it, a new creation. Okay. So when he says the Sabbath was made mm-hmm. because of the human, mm-hmm. <clears throat> he's saying when God created the seventh day, came and rested yeah. with the humans, yeah. that was for the sake of humanity, humanity to, to be living with God yes. in this abundance. Yeah, and as his appointed rulers and authorities. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it wasn't that God was like, oh, you know, it's this really cool special place I want to have. Oh, now I'm lonely. I'll create humans. (laughs) Right. So that they can take care of this place that I want. Uh, That would be like the Sabbath. (laughs) Humans are created for the Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? I've never, yeah, I've never thought of the opposite of it before. Uh, Humans were not made for the Sabbath. God created, yeah, I understand. God created humans. Yeah. And And I wanted, I want a day off every week. (laughs) And so you humans are going to do likewise. (laughs) <laughs> right. Or or to say, in the logic of the narrative, God mm-hmm. creates the humans, mm-hmm. and then there's the seventh day mm-hmm. where they rest and reign. Yeah. Uh, or God rests and reign, mm-hmm. and we and we learn... And they participate they in participate it. They participate in it. Yeah. But you could have another narrative mm-hmm. where God creates this kind of wonderful utopia. Yeah. And then he's like, you know, I kind of just need some humans around to take care of this for me. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And then, okay, mm-hmm. I'll create some humans. Now they can live in this utopia. Yeah. And that would be like God creating the garden, and then and then the humans later. Wait, in Genesis two, he is that the flow? 
He makes a human. He makes a human. Then plants the garden then plants and puts the garden, a human in the garden. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the Sabbath was made because of the human, yeah. not the human yeah. because of the Sabbath. Yeah. The Sabbath is the ideal reality that God um, destined humans for. Yeah. It's the culmination of Genesis 1 and mm. of all human history. Yeah. And therefore, the Sabbath isn't supposed to be practiced in a way that prohibits human flourishing. You know, the things that Jesus will get in trouble for doing on the Sabbath is yeah. eating. Healing people. And healing people. Yeah. Is that... Which is an Eden ideal. Yeah, both of which are, yeah, eating and having healthy whole bodies yeah. are definitely, yeah, Eden ideals. So here Jesus is saying, and I'm the ultimate, I'm the truly human one appointed son, to rule over heaven and earth. Man. So I, I declare that hungry people getting food is exactly what the Sabbath is for. Yeah. And yeah. so even if it means picking from a grain field, which is if what a farmer does, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and that's considered work. But on the Sabbath, it's just considered like eating from the trees of Eden. Yeah. And there seems <laughs> to be a bit of a, like something he's doing with the way he's using the human and then the son of the human. Oh, sure. Sabbath that's was right. made because of the human. Yeah. Adam. Humanity. So, <laughs> the son of the human. Yes, that's right. What's the difference there in his mind? Is like, hmm. he, it's made because of the human, so the son of the human. Yes. Marcus made the point. So, the idea is the Sabbath was built into the structure of the world that was made subject to Adam. Yeah. Therefore, Adam's ultimate son, hmm. the son of Adam, has recovered the dominion that his yeah. forefather forfeited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's not just Lord of the world in general. He's mm. Lord of time. Mm. He's the divine Lord. He's the Lord of eternal of, rest. Of and heaven and earth. The ideal. Of, of its, and of its future destiny. Yeah. yeah. Son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. I mean, it's a riddle. That's why it puzzles readers, but it's an invitation to... There and this is another example of Son of Man yep. being connected to divine authority. authority. Yep. A number of the Son of Man sayings of Jesus are like this. He'll use it to describe a figure who has God's authority. Second pattern of how Jesus uses the phrase son of man. He talks about the suffering son of man. Hmm. So Mark chapter 10. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, if we ask you to do something, will you just do it for us? <laughs> <laughs> and he said to them, Well, what is it you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> it depends. <laughs> Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. Hmm. So underneath that is for sure. When you become king. When you are the exalted son of man. Oh, so they, they're picking oh, up on... Got it. You're right. In the one level, this could be just when you go kick butt in Jerusalem and yeah. Yeah. bring the kingdom of God. But in your glory... Yeah. Oh, yeah. That could, yeah, totally. It could also be loaded, as we're going to see, with son of man imagery. Yeah. But Jesus said to them, you have no clue what you're asking for. <laughs> Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am to be baptized? Riddler Jesus again. 
They said to him, oh, yeah, we're totally able. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just pause real quick. The cup and the baptism is images. Well, the cup, I know from the Lord's Supper, referring to, is that what that is? Oh, that's the Passover cup. Um, this is different. Oh, okay. Or it's actually, it's totally related in terms because it's cup imagery. It's all connected. Okay. So I don't know what he's talking about. Jesus is, is going to have to drink a cup. He's going to drink a cup. He's going to drink a cup. And here, what should um, light up in your mind is um, Jeremiah 25 and 27. Isaiah, it's the cup of wrath. Mm. It's the cup of the wine of God's wrath. Oh, that cup. That cup. He's going to drink God's wrath? It does not sound tasty. No. Jeremiah 25. Thus Yahweh, the God of Israel, says to me, Jeremiah, to say to all the nations, mm. take the cup of the wine of wrath from my hand mm -hmm. and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. Mm. They will drink and stagger and go mad mm. because of the sword that I am sending among them. So I took, he's having a vision or a dream, Jeremiah is. I took this cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me to drink it. Then it lists the nations, hmm. Jerusalem, Egypt, all the kings of the land of Uz. That's where Job lived. <laughs> the Philistines, Moab, Edom, Ammon, Tyre, everybody. I mean, just, it goes on. And then it turns out that the sword so the, it's both they're drinking a cup. Yeah, and being handed a... And be, <laughs> it's, it's also a sword. Yeah. It's Babylon. It's Nebuchadnezzar coming to town to subjugate all of oh, these that, wicked, that violent is, nations. that's the cup. The cup is Babylon. Oh. Or the drunkenness, the being mm. drunkenness and being reduced and shamed mm. and attacked by the sword is, oh. is Babylon. Oh. He's, he's handing the nations over to Babylon. That's oh. the cup. And it's also... Isaiah 51, Psalm 75, these are all the cup passages in okay. the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. And it's giving humans over to... Actually, this is exactly Paul's vision of wrath in Romans chapter 1. Oh, yeah. The wrath of Handed God is revealed from heaven against all humans who suppress the truth and the wickedness and ungodliness. And then what he tells the story is God handing humans over to catastrophes of their terrible decisions. So in Jesus' mind, he's um, going to drink... The cup. He's going to get slayed by Babylon. Mm -hmm. He's going to Jerusalem to, um, yeah, to swallow the sword of Babylon on behalf of Israel and the nations. Mm. Yeah. And the agent to do it is the Babylon reigning over Jerusalem right now, which, which is, is both the temple establishment and, right, it's represented yeah. in Caiaphas. Yeah. The powers. And Pilate. Yeah, it's the powers. And then the baptized with the baptism. Yes. That's such a yeah, funky I know. Yeah. Baptized with the baptism. Yeah, dude. Which it's I'm well, baptized. Dude, Jesus. Here, this is such a good example to show that Jesus read the Hebrew scriptures as a whole network of design patterns. Because mm. this is all, this is the flood. Okay. This is actually the dark chaos waters of Genesis 1. Okay. This is the passage through the flood waters, oh. Noah in the boat. This is Israel going through the waters of the sea uh, that destroy the powers of evil, yeah. but rescued through death. Yeah. This is Jonah, <laughs> his passage through the, the death waters yeah. in a very strange vehicle. The large fish. Yes, exactly. Yes. And, oh man, oh, this is all about the book of Jonah. But um, the only other time you get an image of a human swallowed by a great sea creature 
is in the poetry of Jeremiah, hmm. chapter 51, and it's Babylon depicted as the sea dragon yeah. swallowing up Israel. It's an, as an image of exile. Uh. The exile of Israel is another passage through the waters of death. Read the book of Isaiah. <laughs> it's just all about that. The exile to Babylon is a f- flood that mm. purges Israel. It kills Israel so that the Israel that emerges out the other side is... Oh, that's, the ima- that's an image in Isaiah. Isaiah, fi- Isaiah, both 11 and chapter 43, the exile... On the, into the nations as a flood. So, so it's really interesting. So, so Jesus, yeah. said, so his, <laughs> James and John come up and they're like, "Hey, when yeah. you start ruling, yep. we want to be right there with you on your Correct. right and your left. Yes, yes, your your chief guys. Yes." And Jesus is like, "Yeah, I don't think you get it." Yeah. And they're like, "No, we get it." And yeah. they're like, "No, I'm going to be slayed by Babylon. Yes, and I'm going to go through the chaos waters, I mean, it, which is death. Death. I'm go into exile and death." Yeah. Yeah. Cut off from the land of the living. And all yeah. of these stories of the flood yes. and of yes. of the the sea. Yeah. If Jesus is a new humanity and he's also the new Israelite. He mm. is Israel embodied mm. as their king and representative mm-hmm. and priest. Mm-hmm. Then he is undergoing in his own self the whole story of Israel mm. in miniature. Yeah. Which means uh, going into death and exile on behalf of his people. Mm. Precisely because he knows that by God's power, he will be brought out the other side. Just Mm. like the dry land was delivered from the waters and just like Israel came out of the waters of the sea and and so on. All that's loaded into the cup and the baptism. Mm. So then they say to him, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll drink the cup. Yeah, we're down. Yeah, we're down. And Jesus said to them, uh, well, actually, you know what? You are going to drink the cup. (laughs) And you are going to undergo that baptism. But to sit on my right hand and my left, that's not my authority to give. (laughs) Why not? But for those for whom it has been prepared. Okay. Now, hold on. What Jesus is getting at is the cup and the baptism that is going to lead me to glory on the throne. Uh Uh-huh. Right, because they say when you sit on your throne, yeah, we want to sit beside you. Yeah. Well, and his point is essentially the way I'm going to get to that throne. Yeah. You have Death no idea what you're asking for. You, yeah. It means dying. And then they say, "Oh yeah, we're down for that." And he's like, "Well, actually, it is. You you are going to die <laughs> <laughs> for the kingdom of God." Uh, um, I'm glad you're down. Yeah. It's happening. So look, but look at this. this is really cool. So it's actually Jesus's cross is going to be his means of exaltation. Yeah. Of the throne. Yeah. This is what we did in the Son of Man video. Yeah. The cross is his throne. Yeah. And so who is it that has been appointed to be on the right and the left of Jesus when he ascends his cross throne? Oh, yeah, two criminals. Two criminals. And you go read the Passion accounts. Whoa. The narrative is very specific. One on his right. Oh. One on his left. Oh. This is a foreshadowing of the two criminals oh. sitting for sure. So notice the inversion of all the imagery. They want to be exalted as like his glorious princes. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you will, you yeah. will suffer, but yeah. to suffer beside me while I suffer on my throne. There's actually two dudes that are already signed up for that. Yep. Yeah, they're rebels. Yeah, rebels. Yeah, they're rebels. Rebels against Rome. Israelite rebels against Rome.
So, hearing this, the rest of the disciples began to feel angry with James and John. Yeah. So, calling everybody to himself. Now everybody's angry. Like, what? You asked for the power seats? You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> everybody. He calls everybody. He says, listen, look out there on the Gentiles, right? The, the nations. People who are recognized as rulers among the nations, they lord their power over their subjects. Yeah. It's the way of Babylon. Yep. Great, powerful men exercise their authority. But it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great shall become your slave or servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is such an important teaching of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So the Son of Man has divine authority. That's the first pattern we looked at. Yeah. But there's a, a number of these where he'll use the Son of Man to talk about the one who's going to Jerusalem to suffer for under yeah. the temple establishment in Babylon. And that's actually, that's his calling and that's his way to yeah. his, his glory. What is he going to do with his power? Yeah. He's going to serve yeah. and suffer. Yeah. And it's not the way, look out at any kingdom. That's not how people rule. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But that's how the son of man, the yeah. one with... Truly human one. The yeah. truly human one who is the one who can rule with God. Yes. Yeah. That's how he rules. That's right. And so Marcus's point here is, you know, the first Adam is given rule and authority, mm -hmm. but precisely through deception and rebellion, he forfeits that authority mm -hmm. and uh, brings death, right? Exiles him, all of his descendants into the realm of death and struggle mm -hmm. and where they're going to have to survive by acting like animals and killing each other. Yeah. And so for the ultimate son of Adam to reverse all of that means that the death and the violence all has to be dealt with. Mm. You can't just, in other words, this is interesting. We don't just need a new human who comes and is like, forget the past. I'm just going to do it right this time. Mm. You need to somebody who will do what has never been done, but also in some way has to deal with the train wreck of human history and its violence and horror. Like yeah. that also has well, one to way be to deal with it is with. just to wipe it out. Yeah, that's right. But it seems like he wants to deal with it in a different way. Mm. He wants to redeem it. Yes. I guess then he does have to wipe it out. I mean, if he is, if he is, if, if the son of man, Jesus, is the future of humanity, mm -hmm. he has to die to the, his current mode of existence mm -hmm. to be transferred into his glorious reigning over heaven and earth kind of existence. Mm. So there is, it does need to die. Mm. Yeah. But it needs to die to become truly human. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, this is exactly Paul's worldview when you read Paul's letters. Hmm. Yeah. And it's if you have a conception of heaven as the disembodied eternal place you go after you die, yeah. then you could really misconstrue this as like, oh, our current humanity has to die. We have to go to heaven forever, the non-physical place. And that's the ideal. Yeah. It's interesting because in the paradigm I kind of had growing up is death is a an exit from the body to be, you know, yeah. in the spiritual yeah. sense. Yeah. But here it's like death becomes a metamorphosis into yes. like an, a new humanity. Correct. That is more human. Yeah. In the sense that more to the 
to be in the image of yeah. God yeah. ruling Correct. the way that humanity was supposed to rule. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, I'm just reflecting on when you said, you know, uh, one thing, one way God could do it is to wipe everybody out and right. start over. In a way, that's what's happening on the cross. That's his whole point is I'm going to drink the cup that's mm. for everyone else. God's handed the whole world over to Babylon. Yeah. But here is one who's going to drink the cup of Babylon himself on everyone else's behalf. Yeah. So that... But the spare, but the spare. Precisely so that he goes through the other side so that his death and his new life can... Can can be an off-ramp from Babylon. Correct. Yeah. Into the new thing. And then if you stick around with Babylon, then it will, it will go away. Correct. I mean, and and for the cup and baptism, this is why I said it is connected to the bread and the cup and the baptism. Right, right, right. Baptism becomes the sacred symbol of you dying. That's what what Paul says in Romans 6. Right. And the bread and the cup, 1 Corinthians 11, it's our participation in his death. It's interesting. Baptism is in a way symbolically dying with Jesus, but it is in some way anticipating the fact that we will actually die to be resurrected too. Correct. Because that's the way through. That's the way through. Unless, as he says in Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians... Uh, you happen to be among the generation when the kingdom of God fully comes. Yeah. In which case you'll be uh, metamorphed is the Greek verb he uses. Metamorph. Metamorph. Yeah, that, Metamorph. actually that word was rattling in my brain when we we're talking about this. Correct. I think I used the word transfigured or something, but yeah. 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 It's like a caterpillar, yeah. you know. That's totally just, it. <laughs> That's turns right. in this new body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many metaphors you could use, but or think of like the acorn and the tree that it becomes. Yeah. The acorn has to literally its current yeah, shape has to die and, and decay and, and decompose yeah. so that its real ultimate like I- identity and destiny can be realized. Mm. And that's the biblical and, story's view of the universe. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, uni- and of our, <laughs> the universe that is slave to yeah. sin and death. Sin and death and decay. Not the universe as God Correct. created it. Correct. Represented in the Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So it's like a tree got turned into an acorn <laughs> that needs to then die to become a tree. Again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, a, yeah, what was supposed to become a tree. What was supposed to become a tree. Ended up to be an acorn that has to die so that <laughs> the real tree can, can grow. The third pattern, we're tracing three patterns in Jesus' Son of Man teachings. The third pattern is uh, where Jesus will call himself the Son of Man or to refer to the Son of Man, who after suffering will be enthroned in glory uh, with a new humanity. You can see a narrative here. Yeah. The first one. Son of Man has authority to rule. Yep. Yep. Son of Man will suffer. Will suffer and die. And die. To enter glory. And then the Son of Man will be... 
Yep. Exalted uh, and vindicated. After his death. Yeah. Yeah. So Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. So there's a concept here of me and my followers are going to face opposition in this generation. Mm-hmm. So that we're back to that rejection, rejected mm. and persecuted, mm. suffering. Yeah. But eventually, uh, the Son of Man will be vindicated, mm. and he'll be the one in charge and come in glory, the glory mm. of his Father with the angels. So to be ashamed of him and his words is kind of like to be like, oh man, what a dumb way to live. Yeah. You're going to suffer and die. Yeah. And like how weak yes. and how foolish. To consider it shameful. It's shameful. Yeah. Yeah, just to then turn up your nose at that and just be like, "Yeah, what does he know? Yes. We know how to rule. Yeah. We've, we've got it figured out. Got it figured out. We've arranged a comfortable situation with Rome here in Jerusalem. <laughs> <laughs> right? A comfortable, like, yeah. compromise. Right. And, you know, some people are benefiting from that. So if, if ruling through suffering and dying is a shameful thing for you, then yes. in the new creation, you're, you got no equity there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. If the currency of the kingdom of God is treating other people as higher rank than yourself yeah. and serving them as more important, then... You're going to look foolish in the new kingdom. You will turn out to be, yeah, the fool. And the kingdom of God is simply something you wouldn't even want to participate in. Yeah. It's not well, something you would want. So here it's about public shame. People who are shaming Jesus yeah. and are going to kill him and try and stomp out his followers... They're going to find that they are the ones on the outside when the true kingdom comes. Hmm. I mean, it's very much a... a to say th- that you feel ashamed is assuming then that you do want in the kingdom. I guess maybe not. But I mean, if if I felt like, hmm. why would I care? Why would I feel shame if I can't be a part of your party if I don't want in your party? Yes. Right. Yeah. Your party is illegitimate. It's shameful. And so the Son of Man will say, actually, you're shameful. Okay. Yes. The yeah. way you live in the world is uh, shameful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the reversal. Yeah, okay. And like Luke, it's okay. the upside down kingdom. Right, right, right. Okay. The kingdom of this world will find that they are the ones who mm. are publicly shamed. Yeah. Because of the glory and the beauty. Yeah. And the love of the kingdom of God. The Son of Man coming with glory. There's multiple statements about this. And you can see this maps on to... The final bit of Daniel 7, the enthroned human one, after being exalted above the beasts. And then we've looked at this from multiple angles, but this is top of page 32. This is Jesus' trial scene, Mm -hmm. and this Mm, played a crucial role in the video that we made. Mm Mm-hmm. You're, you're talking past tense now because the video's come out. The video's now come out. Since right. <laughs> this part of the conversation. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, good point. Yeah. We referred to this in the first episode. The high priest, who is an exalted ruler over Israel now, says, tell us if you are the anointed one. Are you the one that's supposed to have my job? Yeah. The high priest is an anointed one. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. you want my job? Is that what yeah. you want? Yeah, that's right. And Jesus said to him, You say so. You say, I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. Nevertheless, I tell you, from this moment on, the moment you condemn me, is the moment that you will see the Son of Man. Actually, this is interesting. Sitting at the right hand of power. He didn't get that from Daniel 7. Mm, The the sitting at the right hand. 
Well, that's in Daniel 7. That's Psalm 110. Oh, but isn't the throne at God's right hand in mm-hmm. Daniel 7? There's multiple thrones. Multiple thrones. In Daniel 7, the Son of Man is exalted. It's just, this is a great example of Jesus. Merging. Merging Daniel 7 and Psalm 110. Mm. There's multiple thrones, or just more than one throne. Right. And the Son of Man came up to the Ancient of Days, presented before him, and to him is given dominion and glory in the kingdom. Hmm. There's no detail of the right hand. The detail of the throne at the right hand yeah. by the divine throne yeah. that's introduced earlier in Daniel 7, but it's not resolved. It's yeah. never brought up again. Oh, okay. But because in the Hebrew Bible, Psalm 110, it's fully linked in, hyperlinked in. Yeah. Someone on Twitter a while ago mm-hmm. asked, like, where do you get the, the empty, empty throne? throne? Yeah. And I was like, well, I guess one had to be empty <laughs> if, if the Son of Man comes and sits in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But part of it's also Psalm 110. So one is there's multiple thrones. Yeah. And the Ancient of Days took his seat, sat down. Okay. So you go, okay, well, there's more than one throne. Yeah. Right now, there's one sitting on them, which means if what are these other thrones or the other throne? Mm -hmm. It doesn't clarify. One common view is that those are the thrones of the divine council. Right. But even so, the whole point is that here is a human being exalted up yeah. to that divine throne. He now. needs somewhere to sit. Right? If he's, right? If he's being worshipped yeah. and receiving rule over the nation, yeah. the whole point is that he is taking yeah. up a spot yeah. and you have multiple thrones mentioned. Yeah. And then within the framework of the Hebrew Bible, this is exactly the role that the future seed of David plays in the book of Psalms. Mm. So when you get to Psalm 110, you already know that you're looking for a royal priest king from the line of David who's going to suffer. Mm-hmm. And be exalted, and he's going to Psalm 110, sit at the right hand of God. Mm. So you can see in Jesus' mind, he's joined the seed of David of Psalm 110 Mm. with the Son of Man from Daniel 7. Also notice um, that if you're trying to paint a logical scene in your mind, Uh um, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. Uh And coming on the clouds of heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Remember in Daniel 7, the point is... He comes on the clouds to get to the throne. To get to where he sits down. Yeah. So, in other words, it seems like those are synonymous images. Those are two ways of talking about the same thing. Mm, Rising up on the cloud is taking... The clouds were what got him up to the divine throne Mm -hmm. where he sits down. There are two ways. One's referring to his exaltation. exaltation. Another one is to him taking up his Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the high priest... It would make more sense if you flipped those. You'll see the Son of Man yes, coming on the clouds of heaven exactly, yes. and sitting at the right hand of That's power. what I'm saying. That's yeah. why I'm saying that I think they're the meant to be seen synonymous yeah. as opposed to a sequence. Got it. Yeah. yeah. And then the high priest freaks out. And what he says is he's blasphemed. Namely, he's dishonored God. Yeah. Claiming to be the one who sits beside God to rule the world. Yeah. Okay. So you put all these together. You have Jesus as... The Son of Man with authority over heaven and earth. Yeah. That's the first pattern. You have the Son of Man who's going to gain that authority by drinking the cup, by suffering and dying. But after suffering and dying, he is going to be exalted up to that divine rule. So there you go. It's the whole biblical story in these Son of Man <laughs> sayings mm-hmm. in, um, in Jesus. This is uh, Crispin Fletcher Lewis, his book, Jesus Monotheism. It's a great title. Jesus monotheism. Uh, he says, Jesus' constant talk about the kingdom of God evokes the overarching biblical story 
reaching all the way back to the bestowal of royal authority on Adam in Genesis 1. Jesus' kingdom announcement picks up all the key features of a biblical vision of the completion of God's purposes for humanity and the cosmos. Hmm. The administration of creation with true wisdom and justice, the final defeat of evil, the return of the land to its Eden-like bounty, and the completion of Israel's role in the service of the whole world to bring blessing to the nations. Hmm. For Jesus to enact and announce the inauguration of God's kingdom means that humanity is now at last fulfilling its original purpose to manifest God's own royal authority. In Jesus, we see one who exercises God's rule in creation, as was expected of Adam. So let me ask you, now this seems so clear to me, mm. why the Gospels are what they are and why they show Jesus doing and saying the things that he's doing. And mm. I, it's hard for me to remember back totally to when... I was trying to understand the Gospels, but had no oh, reference I, point for I can, any of I this I can stuff. remember. <laughs> <laughs> like it was yesterday. Yeah. It kind of feels like yesterday still. Isn't it? It's just so interesting to me. Well, th yeah, the problem I always had with the Gospels yeah, was... Don't tell me your problems with the Gospels. Well, because I was told a very clear Gospel kind of logic of, mm. I've got a problem. And God's not going to put up with it. Yeah. And, but Jesus took that problem. Mm. He drank the wrath. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, God killed him instead of you. Yeah. That's the nuance there. Ah. In but, that. Or was that not explicit? Oh, totally. In your that, head. Was, that was that explicit. Was. That okay. was totally explicit. That was connected in your head. Yeah. 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 The death punishment I was supposed to have, Jesus took. And in order to get that gift, and this is where it gets fuzzy. It's like, mm. I confess mm. and believe mm. that Jesus is Lord. Mm. And then in there you unpack this whole like, mm. well, and then what? Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> or is there more strings attached? <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. So anyways, I go back and I read the gospels and I'm, huh. and I'm looking for that. Yes. And so yes. you get to Jesus yeah. and like when he goes and talks with Nicodemus, for yeah. example, yeah. and I just, I'm ready for Jesus to be like, hey, Nicodemus, like... I'm going to die on your behalf. Yeah. And you just need to believe that. Yeah. And then you need to follow me as Lord. Yeah. And, or just like any of his encounters. Yes. I'm yeah. just waiting for him to break that down. And he never does. He never, yeah. he never says that thing. And then he does all these other things. It's kind of like, well, that just seems random. Yeah. yeah and that yeah. just seems out of the blue. And like all these riddly th sayings and all these things that he does. Yeah. But now reading it through, the narrative of a human coming to rule and to be the one who can rule. Uh, it doesn't give a, it doesn't like completely dismantle that. No. Yeah. It just kind of puts it within a bigger, yeah. more yeah. robust story that gives it more meaning and then gives meaning to everything else Jesus is doing. Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah. 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 Well, I'm trying to think of an analogy. Where you're, you go do something, but you're given a really small, inadequate tool to like do it. Mm. What you really need is a, like a full tool set. Mm. Maybe it's like going to um, like assemble one of those outdoor sheds for your backyard, <laughs> and all you have to assemble it is a screwdriver. Yeah. 
And it's like, well, or you have one of those like IKEA Allen wrenches. <laughs> <laughs> That's better. Yeah, and it's like, well, hey, you know, you can get some stuff done. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, you could build a whole dresser set yeah, with one of those. It, it, totally. Yeah, and you could you could actually probably build all these different pieces of the shed mm-hmm. with that single tool. Yeah, but. You're not going to be able to deal with all this other stuff. Yeah. All these pieces, you're not going to know. What to do with. Well, that doesn't go with the screwdriver. So what could that be for? Yeah. And so what you end up with is only having used half the materials. Right. And the shed looks crazy wonky. Yeah. And all the other stories <laughs> and parts of the shed. Yeah. You're just kind of like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. And you just kind of leave it to the side. Yep. Yeah. Some of it looks crazy. Yeah. The crazy pieces that don't fit. You know, and you're like, oh, how could that be a part of the shed? That doesn't yeah, make any sense. Right. But then you go back, and in the kit came like a 10 piece tool set. <laughs> <laughs> and then you realize, like, oh, I see. There's this type of Allen wrench, and there's this type of screwdriver, and there's these bolts. And now all of a sudden, you can, each tool that you have now matches and accounts for everything that came in the box. Yeah. I, in a way, that's. That's like what you're saying. It's not terrible to say, well, the screwdriver was wrong. It's like, no, it wasn't wrong. It was just not adequate to account mm, for the whole thing. Sure. And for me, like when we started this project and we started talking a lot about mm. ruling with God mm. and humanity's calling to be God's authority on earth and, the, and reading everything through that lens, it felt so new and it felt wrong. It felt kind of like I was waiting for... Mm, mm. I was kind of waiting for that to like hit a dead end hmm. in a way or not hit a dead end, but just kind hmm. of, I wasn't completely convinced hmm. that that was like. Yes. The gateway into yeah. true understanding. <laughs> yeah. But then you get to stuff yeah. like this and you're just like, well, what else is this about? Yeah. And hmm. how else can you make sense of, of these kind of yeah. things that Jesus is saying and doing? Yeah. Man, I'd love to think of another Example two, I, I'm like kind of right on the cusp of, <laughs> you know, I just, if you ever had that experience where it's like you've been somewhere before, but now that you've, mm. you've gone back with a new experience, the mm. place is, is completely oh, different. It's different. Yeah. That's the thing I'm trying to think of. It's yeah. like mm. maybe you've been somewhere in your childhood mm. and you have memories of that place mm-hmm. and, and you think of that place in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then you have all these life experiences. Mm-hmm. And a bigger framework, and you come back, and you're yeah. like, I did not realize how, like, yeah. whatever, yeah, sure, this place was. Mm. Mm. It's kind of that kind of feeling too, of like, mm. I've been to these passages before, and I've mm. talked through mm. these things, but it's being able to see it, yeah, new eyes that all of a sudden, what's yeah. kind of remar- so remarkable about the human psyche is we can just ignore things that don't fit yes, that's into right. yeah. it's as if they don't exist. our puzzle. Yeah. yeah. As if they don't exist. You yeah. just don't see them. Yeah. That's right. Because otherwise you're dealing with all this complexity and yeah. ambiguity and weirdness. That's just too uncomfortable. You can't deal with it. Mm-hmm. And so like, we actually just have this ability to ignore mm. things that don't make sense and to yeah. smooth over bumps yeah. just to get a coherent mm-hmm. sense of, of mm-hmm. things. And there's almost a sense of, I didn't realize even how much I was doing that. Ah, with the Gospels particularly. Yeah, I knew that the Gospels were like, there was weird bits that didn't fit, but I didn't even know like how much I was smoothing things over (laughs) (laughs) to make it work. Yeah, yep. Anyways. Yeah, that's good.
So I mentioned the scholar Joel Marcus earlier. He wrote this small book <laughs> called The Son of Man is the Son of Adam. This is a, a way that he summarized the presentation of Jesus as a new Adam, the mm-hmm. Son of Man figure. Really captured my imagination. He says, the Son of Man is an apocalyptic, symbolic figure. <laughs> yeah, the Daniel 7 Son of Man. C- correct, yeah. So, so apocalyptic doesn't mean the end of the world in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's the apocalypse is uh, the word for to uncover or mm. to unveil. Yeah. So it's the point is, surprise, Yeah. here's this. Here's something you didn't see. Something you didn't see that changes the way you see everything else. Yes. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. So, Son of Man is that. If the Son of Man is a new Adam, then the Jesus of the Gospels is presenting himself as the founder of a new humanity. Mm. This is why the Gospels depict Jesus carrying out his ministry in the last days as the recapitulation, like the replaying, Mm -hmm. but also the perfecting of the beginning. In other words, if he's the ultimate Adam, Mm -hmm. he's both replaying all the history of humanity and the history of Israel in himself. That's recapitulation. But he's also perfecting it. Hmm. He's He's doing it in the the way that it's complete. He's taking the road that humanity and Israel was never able to attain. Yeah. In this context... Marcus goes on, the good news of Jesus' opening message in Mark chapter 1, the time is fulfilled, fulfilled, filled full. Hmm. (laughs) So time's been this thing building up towards Hmm. some moment of fullness. Mm -hmm. And here it is. The kingdom of God has come near. This is not simply a time of waiting for a new event to happen and then it's over. Rather, he means that the old universe is dying and a new creation is being born. Hmm. Yeah. So when we get to Paul and he's talking about old humanity, new humanity, Mm. and the new humanity is Jesus, or he'll talk about the current evil age Mm. enslaved to the powers, but then the age to come that has already started. Mm -hmm. This isn't a new idea. This is what the ministry of Jesus forced people Mm. to either say it's all hogwash, he's a sham, Mm. he was crucified, it's a failed project. Or to bear witness to the resurrection, that, as he says, a, a, it's a new universe, a new creation coming into existence. Hmm. And that's what the Son of Man theme is, is all about. Yeah, like what a remarkable story to be invited into. Hmm. You know, it's like spend any day looking at the news. <laughs> yeah, which I've been doing too much of yeah, lately. Right, yeah, we've talked about I've that. been confessing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's very easy to get swept up into the narrative that, like, humans are ultimately in control. Yeah. <laughs> and in a way, we are. Yeah, and we're supposed to be. That's the authority we've been given. Yeah. But the resurrection of Jesus is an apocalypse. <laughs> it's like an uncovering that, in reality, he's the human who holds the true destiny of our universe in his hands. We're destroying ourselves. And uh, the good news is that there is one who was subject to that destruction on our behalf and it's gone out the other side into some new thing that yeah. we can't create in our own effort. It's why I love so much the parable of the the yeast mm. in the dough because it's this picture of mm. something growing, yeah. you know, within yeah. and transforming. Changing everything. And changing everything. But remember he says the, the, he says the, uh, the woman hides it. In the dough. Uh, she hides it. Yeah. It's hidden. Yeah. It's not... It's not plain. It's not plain. Yeah. 
there's something hidden, not plain, of this upside down mm. way of being human that is now made possible because according to the scriptures, the God of the universe became human yeah. to show how to do it and to do it on our behalf. Yeah. And to, and and to, to inaugurate it. And to be subject to our evil and death. Yeah. And letting it both overpower him so that he could overpower it. Yeah. What a strange view of the world. I mean, really, it's remarkable that this story and movement actually still exists. Well, you know, <laughs> it's it so, is. It's so counterintuitive, and none of us actually live as if this is true. Well, yeah. Even most of the people who say that they believe this, including myself. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. You pull someone off the street and ask them, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Yeah. And you're not going to get this answer. No, no. Yeah. It's too scandalous. But there you go. It's clearly what Jesus was talking about. And uh, we're left to reckon with it, and then also to reckon that he understood that it was hard to understand, which is why he didn't like write long essays about it. He just did it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then he gave us these rituals, symbols. Then then he appointed Paul to write it it out. (laughs) At least explain it a little more. Yeah. So there you go, man. The Son of Man. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I really, these were very helpful conversations for me and... I'm I'm pleased with the video. You guys, thank you for listening to this episode of the Bible Project Podcast. We have just one more episode left, which is a question and response episode on the Son of Man. We'd love to hear your questions that have occurred to you while we've been exploring the Son of Man theme. So if you want to send us a question, here's how you can do it. You can send an audio file to info. That is I-N-F-O, info at jointhebibleproject.com. If you can say your name, uh, where you're from, that would be awesome. And if it's possible, please try to keep your question to about 20 seconds. Today's show was produced by Dan Gummel, theme music by the band Tents. And as always, we want to say thank you so much to those of you who listen to the podcast, those of you who watch the videos, and those of you who support what we're doing. The whole reason the Bible Project exists is because of a whole small army of supporters and people who uh, believe in getting uh, the unified storyline of the Bible that leads to Jesus out to the world in ways that are creative and engaging. So we're grateful that you all are behind us. We're going to keep making more content exploring the Bible. Thanks for being a part of this with us. Hi, this is Lauren. I'm from New York City. My favorite thing about the Bible Project is that it's an extremely generous way to spread the news of Jesus and teach the Bible in our culture. We believe that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. We're a crowdfunded project by people like me. Find free videos, study notes, podcasts, and more resources at thebibleproject.com.